The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. February 25th, 2024, Overcoming Bitterness, Part 1. Um, All right, so again, this is Overcoming Bitterness by Stephen Viars. This is the book that we're going to go over today, and it will be often quoted. So uh, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for today. I thank you so much for the sunshine that's out today and yesterday and how um, it's so warm and it's healing. And I just thank you that... um, We get to be here to study your word. Help me to um, explain well uh, what this book um, says and what you say in your word. I just pray that you would be exalted today in this class, that you would, that your ways would be seen as better than our ways, um, that you help us during this time to understand what you have to say about a heart of bitterness and, um, how to cure a heart of bitterness, Lord. And we just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives in your name. Amen. Okay, so when I ask the question, do you have any bitterness in your life? What's your first instinct like? Is it yes, of course? You better believe it. Or would you say, no, I don't have any bitterness in my life. I'm good. Like, I'm. Spiritually above that. Did you want to raise a hand? Yeah, go for it. I think it's cyclical sometimes. Like, sometimes yes. Sometimes I've repented and it stuck. So, yes and no. Yes and no. (laughs) Becky? I got you. Yeah. I was just being a smart Alex. Okay, but, so what would you say? About what? (laughs) About bitterness? About, do you have bitterness in your life? Um... Oh, yeah, I've had lots of bitterness in my life. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting? If I had to pin it down, a lot of it, I, we raised three daughters, and, you know, you can't blame your problems on other people if I say um, But a lot of this, My daughter just walked in. <laughs> um, girls are, they're emotionally and... You'll see this later on. <laughs> they are so, because I have grandsons. That They're emotionally like, what? You didn't finish that I sentence. Didn't finish that. <laughs> <laughs> she knows better. They're emotional. They are, That's and they bring sentence. something out, and especially daughters and mothers, they can bring out. Now, ladies. Oh, yeah, boys don't do that at all, Becky. Boys don't bring anything out of mothers. We're great. You're good. But they just bring something out. And, oh, why? It's tricky. Well, you have a few daughters of your own. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been my struggle, but I'm, I'm happy in here to say that I'm working on it and getting the better hand of it as I get older. Yeah. Because it is a struggle. It is a struggle. And life throws things at you that you, God throws things at you that you um, don't expect. And um, it's hard. And you have to deal with it. And that's where we're going to talk about how do we deal with it biblically. Um, So we want to open up on this topic of bitterness, right? 
Um, unrestrained bitterness has the power to destroy our lives. Um, and unknown authors quoted by our by ours. Uh, bitterness does more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than the vessel on which it is poured. Have you guys heard that before? Um, what are some of the consequences um, of bitterness that you've experienced in your life or that you've seen in other people? What are some of those consequences you kind of see? Broken relationships. Yeah. Broken relationships. Steals joy. Steals joy separates you from God. Yeah. And it changes our countenance too, right? Mm-hmm. It does. Um, so Lee Strobel says acrid, acrid, acrid bitterness <laughs> inevitably seeps into the lives of the people who harbor grudges and suppress anger. And bitterness is always a poison. It keeps your pain alive instead of letting you deal with it and get beyond it. Bitterness sentences you to relive the hurt over and over again. So um, we need to make a practice of restraining this sin. Um, So is this you? So we might say no, like, are we reliving some hurt over and over again? Um, You might say no, but you might say, oh, once in a while. So let's think deeply about what we might be storing bitterness up for and and who we might be storing bitterness up against and examine our heart. So the word bitter in the Bible is translated in Hebrew to mara. This word sometimes is used to speak of food or water that tastes sour or bitter and sometimes used to describe the poisonous bile from the gallbladder or even a snake's venom. (laughs) Most often, God's word uses it figuratively to speak of inner emotional feeling of deep sorrow or outwardly direct anger that cries out. The author repeats that bitterness is not just a response, it's a condition of the heart. The Bible addresses the topic of bitterness over and over, and God wants us to use his word to help us deal with bitter circumstances and teach us how to process our bitter circumstances. We'll talk about how we need to be able to process bitter circumstances properly so we don't allow our hearts to harden towards God and towards others. So a bitter lifestyle is poisonous, and it's the most recognizable. So when we see a bitter lifestyle. So if somebody, get out your Bibles because we're going to be doing this a lot. Um, get out Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, and let's read directly from God's word about what we should do with bitterness. Anybody will do. 4, 31 and 32. Mm-hmm. You want me to read it? Yep. Yes. Go for it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So this kind of bitter lifestyle, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, um, can be observed in others and in yourself. Hopefully never when you look in the mirror, right? But the writer of Hebrew warns us that left unattended, um, this kind of bitter lifestyle can result in being an immoral or godless person like Esau. Um, 
So it's not a direct correlation. Like we're not going to end up in, if we believe in Christ, obviously like Esau, but let's read how Esau dealt with the bitterness in his life um, in Hebrews 12, 15 through 16. I've got it. You want it? Yep. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So he sold his birthright for a single meal. And the writer explains where that path leads. Tara, will you read 17? Sure. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So obviously a true repentant heart will find forgiveness from the Lord. But we also know that however you interpret this, we it's very bad and no way do we want to represent Esau in our lives. And the author describes this kind of behavioral bitterness like the top of a log jam in a river. Many Christians have allowed this characteristic to um, into who they are, this bitterness, and it has hindered their relationships, like we talked about earlier, their effectiveness for the gospel, and their joy. And so we want to dislodge this log jam and using God's word. So... Um, so we're going to talk about the power of a bitter heart. Uh, but what happens on the outside, this outward bitter behavior isn't always what's most important, right? What, do we, what does God say in Proverbs 14.10 um, about where bitterness comes from? It says, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. Our bitter circumstances and hardships are usually stored deep in our heart. And there are private thoughts that only us and the Lord knows. A lot of times we, we cage them in our hearts, right? Um, the author says, Bitterness is slowly cooked in the crock pot of our hearts where we replay conversations and hurts over and over again. So, I don't know. We're all nodding because we've all done it. Um, we need to examine our heart, and, and that's the <coughs> source of that's producing the bitter words, but it's coming from a bitter heart. Um, so what does the Bible say? Just let's review about what protecting our heart. And um, so in Proverbs 4.23, and then stay there because we're going to do a little more. Anybody? Go for it. <laughs> Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And how does God say that we are to protect our heart in 24 through 27? Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Yeah. John MacArthur says the heart refers to the mind as the center of thinking and reason, but also includes the emotions, the will, and thus the whole inner being. The heart is the depository of all wisdom and the source of whatever affects speech, sight, or conduct. Um, so James 3, 10 through 11. 
I'm make you guys do all the work. <laughs> I wrote it. I did write it. From the same mouth from blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? So what is that saying? That's saying the bitterness in our heart is going to come out or what the bitter words that come out of our mouth are really stemming from our heart disease of bitterness. And so we need to protect our heart and we need to be careful to deal rightly with the hard things in life so that they don't become roots of bitterness and spew out of our mouth, right? So take a minute to ponder and share. A lot of times in the book, well, a lot of, yeah, in a lot of his books, he kind of does this whole pull over and park thing where you stop and think about what you've just learned or read. So um, think in your mind, if you want to share, you're welcome to, what examples of bitterness are occurring in your words and actions right now? What, what is God stirring or think, what are you thinking of as you sit here thinking about bitterness? Ah, yeah, there's that person, or I haven't really forgiven that person, or I haven't forgiven God for this hard circumstance, or... Um, sir. So just think through that. What examples of bitter thoughts or desires are present in your heart? So I'm not asking for an answer, but I'm just asking you to like think through it. I think what came to my mind when we read this verse 11 about a spring cannot pour forth really is what it's saying. Fresh and salt water is if I'm grumbling and discontent with anyone in my life, I'm not grateful for that. <clears throat> I can't have that joy that we just read about in Proverbs um, at the same time that I'm also being bitter. Like I'm, yeah. I'm picking. I'm choosing one or the other. I can't have both at the same time, or I won't um, be communicating both at the same time. Yeah, and a lot of times, and we'll talk about this later, we, we don't like confrontation, and we don't like to deal with the hardships in life because it hurts. But God has a better way, and it's... And, I have, yeah, this is something that it's hard to realize, but dealing with it is easier than holding on to it. And sometimes you feel like it's easier at the moment to just stuff it away, but it always comes out later, right, in consequences in your life, whether it affects your joy, whether it affects how you see God. Um, so it, it seems easier at the time to not deal with bitter circumstances, but God gives us a better way, and he tells us the right way, and that's to deal with them. Isn't that true with any problem in life? Not just bitterness, anything. It always seems easier to avoid it than get in there and deal with it. Well, and it's different than, like, being slighted with a... So bitterness encompasses a lot of things, and we'll go over that. It's different than just being slighted or whatever. It's bitter circumstances um, in your life. And so that can encompass a lot of different things. Okay. So we have sometimes the log jam, right, that we talked about on the top of the river. What's underneath it? It's like an iceberg, right? It's like underneath it is roots that are roped together, mud that's caked together. And um, we, when we store all that yuckiness, it kind of gets bigger and deeper, so we have an inner person and an outer person. It's easy to think that bitterness is just a response, right? 
Like, oh, no, I'm not bitter against that person. Um, but it's also a condition and a reality. So um, many times, like we just, just talked about, um, as you know, we are bitter for perceptions of reality and not necessarily reality for itself, in itself, right? So have you ever experienced this? Like you feel slighted by somebody, ignored, you're, you know, didn't get included somewhere, and it feels like a personal attack. Um, what are we naturally tempted to do? Well, overreact and think that the we may make up the intention of what we observed, when in reality it may not be that at all. It may have just been a simple oversight. Yeah. You know, you never know. So, but we tend to go to the worst. Yeah. A personal attack, right? Um, yeah. We replay that situation. Yeah. We replay it over and over again. And we're like, we convince ourselves. We recreate even the scenario. Sometimes the thing that we think happened didn't actually even happen. Um, we convince ourselves that we're right because there's no other way to interpret this, right? Um, and it's easy to write that person off, to store a little demerit tally point in your heart against them, right? In the little recesses of your heart. Um, we certainly know easily all the wrong things um, to do and to deal with pain. And we practice them so often that it becomes this like just thing that we do so naturally, right? So we want to practice the right thing to do so that comes naturally, so we can break that. I recently had this situation, and I thought, oh, the Lord's giving me these things just for fun because, you know, got to have lots of examples. But I just felt like there was a friend that I just could not connect with, I could not get to engage with, and, and I just asked her. I said, you know, hey, is there something wrong? Is there something that I've done? Um, because I just feel like there's all of a sudden this big block. And I know, especially when you know the other person's tendencies, you're like, oh, you know, they tend to get upset at people, so make sure they're not upset at me. But it was good that to say it, just say it, you know, is there something that I've done that's wrong? And sometimes they'll tell you and sometimes they won't. But it did help in our situation because she was like, no, I've been so busy. I'm so sorry, you know, because she wanted that friendship. But, you know, it was nice with a friend, somebody who you call a friend, just to be open and honest. And we don't like confrontation. But again, God gives us a better way. If we don't confront and we just keep storing it, then we lose relationships and we lose our joy. Okay, so, but we can't just go around, right, saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice to all of our heartaches. Right? That's just, it's not realistic. Um, scripture helps us to pros properly process our pain and hurt. And if we don't process it in the way that the <clears throat> Word of God demonstrates and we stuff it and ignore it, that logjam is created or more likely just becomes bigger and deeper in our life. The goal is to not let bitterness destroy our testimony, our health, our family, but to deal with it biblically. So it doesn't turn into a heart of bitterness towards God and towards others. So there are different types of bitterness in the Bible. Um, bitterness is not always something that you do, um, but it's something that you experience. So 
What are some bitter circumstances in the Bible that you can think of? Well, the book of Ruth, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Naomi was bitter, and when she came back after they'd been in, you know, um, Moab for 10 years or so, when they said, oh, it's Naomi, they said it's Ruth, she said, no, don't call me Ruth. She had experienced bitter circumstances in her life. Naomi. Naomi. Yeah, it's fine. We know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mara, yeah. Because it's bitter. And God's dealt bitterly and really kind of unfairly with me. She got past it. She did. And we can, too. I think it's interesting, too. Oh, sorry. Um, just with Naomi, that example, God was actually working for good behind the scenes. She just didn't see know it or see it. So yeah. she was judging her circumstances based on her own perspective at the time. That's right. Yeah. So we all, we all do that. But God was actually working for good behind it all. Yeah, he was. And isn't he always in every situation in the Bible? And can't he always do that for us? You know, And he can, and he does. And we have such limited perspective. So, um, what was you going to say? Oh, I was just um, thinking about King Saul, who got angry about the song because they were praising David more than they were praising him. So his anger then turned to fear, I'm going to lose my kingdom, which then turned to, like, I remember Graham said something about, like, that bitterness ultimately becomes against another person, like your heart attitude toward the person. And what did he do? Like, he went from being angry at the people for praising David to being fearful about losing his kingdom to now I'm seeking this man out to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. And so that ultimately... So, and that... Big time. Sure. And that is definitely um, one of the examples of different kinds of bitterness. Um, so the one we're going to focus on right now is harsh treatment. Um so let's go to um, Exodus twelve eight. I'm sorry, Exodus one. I'm gonna. I don't know where, where I'm going with that one. Anyways, um, harsh treatment of the Israelites. Okay, so let's set the scene here. The Israelites they're in Egypt after turning to Joseph, right, for the rescue from help from a major famine. Um, they are given fruitful land. And they even get to care for Pharaoh's livestock because in Egypt, it was an abomination. I just learned this in Bible study, that um, to care for livestock was an abomination to them. They like, eh, you know. And so he, they think this is great. They, uh, they get to take care of Pharaoh's livestock, and Pharaoh doesn't have to. And they grow, and they multiply. Um, then let's move forward to many years. There's a new Pharaoh. And they are now a threat because of their numbers. And they are made into slaves by Egypt to try and control their population. So somebody <coughs> read Exodus 1, 11 through 14. Okay. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, 
all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Yeah. So what were some of their conditions like? What is, um, yeah, what were some of their conditions in that verse? Their lives were better with harsh labor. Yeah, they were miserable, right? They were, um, what is another thing in 16 that they were made to do? Who can read 16? You got it still, Maureen? Yes. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Okay, so they even were instructed to kill their sons at birth. They were fearful. There was heartache. There was pain. There was heavy labor. Um, so here enters Moses, and he is born in an attempt to rescue him. He is sent down the basket in the river, and he is found and rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses grows up in an Egyptian household, and we're going to fast forward again to Exodus 2.23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Yeah. So Moses, um, there's bitter enslavement, and they're crying out to God. And Moses, he runs away, right? And he comes back, and he pleads with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh just makes their workloads worse. Now he says, no straw. You're going to have to get your own straw for these bricks. And um, God sends Moses again, and they produce the plagues right, to get Pharaoh's attention. He produces, God produces the plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. And so right before they leave Egypt, God instructs them to to hold what? The big Passover. Okay. So where they find a spotless lamb for each household, they kill the perfect lamb at twilight and spread its blood between the doorposts. And they gather bitter herbs that are specifically grown in Egypt. So somebody read Exodus twelve eight. That's where that Exodus twelve eight come from came from. <laughs> they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Okay. So all that to say, they were commanded to eat the bitter herbs before the unleavened bread and the sweet Passover lamb. Why? They know why? Why the bitter herbs that were grown only in Egypt? It was a reminder to them that they were being treated harshly and it was not a good thing that was going on. And God had something better for them. Yes, he did. And so Exodus 1.14 said, And their lives were made bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they were ruthlessly made to work as slaves. So they were to remember their bitter enslavement. They were to remember their harsh conditions like Becky said, the Lord didn't want them to forget or ignore their bitter circumstances that they had saved, that he had saved them from. Those bitter herbs apparently were only grown in Egypt and they were not meant as a side garnish or just something pretty on the plate. Um, 
They were to remind them of the bitter conditions of their enslavement. Their taste buds buds would pucker when eating them, and they would long for something better. The unleavened bread was meant to illustrate how quickly they needed to leave. And this sweet, perfect lamb was what they longed for in their meal. And it is ultimately what points to their Redeemer, the Savior promised and the Savior to come. They were not meant to leave and forget what happened in Egypt. They weren't supposed to just remember being saved quickly and the sweetness of the lamb. Um, For thousands of years, they were supposed to remember and memorialize their British circumstances that the Lord brought them out of. So, some pullovers in parks. Um, Do you need to face and memorialize any better circumstances in your life? So, how has God shown himself faithful in bitter circumstances? And how can you remember that? And how can you bring that to your memory on a regular basis? Could facing the reality of bitter circumstances help you delight in God better, in the sweetness of Christ better? So, so like, instead of remembering the bitterness of the circumstance, remembering the bitterness of the, the, well, not the bitterness, the beauty of how he got you through it. Yeah, and um, if you think about a circumstance in your life, bitter circumstances, so you have a, a death of a loved one or um, a medical diagnosis that's hard, um, are we, do we stuff it? Do we try and forget it? Do we just say, oh, you know, try and move on past it? Or do you say, like, what What did you teach me, Lord, during that circumstance? What, what did you save me from? You know, and so remembering it and not trying to run away from it and not trying to just forget the bread, what God delivered you from. So if they were just to take the unleavened bread, they would just be remembering his rescue and not knowing what they've been rescued from. So... It's kind of like the gospel, right? We need to repent and we need to remember what we've been rescued from, the dominion of darkness. And we remember that and we're thankful and gratitude we serve the Lord forward. So I think that's the kind of the general direction. And if you think about it, the history as you read on in Scripture past that is the Israelites, every time they had a bad situation during those 40 years, they wanted to go, they kept wanting to go back. Well, you know, they remembered only the good things there and not the horrible things. And God was trying to tell them, no, you can't go back to Egypt. You need to go this way to the promised land. Yeah, eat the bitter herbs. Remember what I saved you from because they quickly forgot. And they were like, oh, we'd rather... I'm sure that was better. Obviously, it wasn't better. Um, But we're very short-sighted. I have, um, I think, a good example of my experience in my life with this. Um, It was um, with one of my daughter-in-laws. I felt, um, I started to feel like I was going that route of becoming bitter towards her mm-hmm. because um, 
she wasn't sharing my grandkids with us. Mm -hmm. And um, at least that's how I was seeing it. You know, mm -hmm. each, they had their busy lives with their friends, and we never got to um, babysit. Um, and I just, all this started simmering inside of me and feeling resentful towards her. I would go on Facebook because she was constantly posting pictures and I'd see everybody else getting to enjoy my grandkids and I wasn't getting to. And um, um, the sitter had a better relationship with them. I, I didn't want to like speak to them, you know, to speak to my son and say, why is that happening? Why can't we get to babysit? Because I didn't want to cause any issues in their marriage, you know, where he would have to choose between his wife and his mom, you know? Yeah. So I, I was just kind of just letting it all just simmer inside of me, and I really felt like, okay, God, I'm... I'm starting to not like my daughter-in-law. You know, I am starting to feel bitter towards her. Please change the situation. Please change her. I started praying for God to change her, to change her situation, that I can be happy. And that just was not working. That was making me more bitter towards her. And um, it wasn't until I realized that I was praying wrong and that I was wrong, period, in feeling this way towards her, that I started to pray and ask God to change my, change my heart. Yeah. To help me love her unconditionally mm -hmm. and not see um, that as, you know, her doing something to me. Um, and so when I, as I began praying that way, praying for myself, for my own heart to change, and to love her. And um, I started to see that I was feeling contentment with five minutes of getting to see my grandkids. You know, whatever time that I got with them, like it was one time a year for Christmas Eve that, they, that we would get to have them in our home with the rest of the family. And it was just a joyous time. Mm -hmm. And so it, it started to take away uh, the, the the clogging up mm -hmm. that I was building in my own little river in my heart of, you know, bitterness. Um, and it started to clear so that the love for her started to flow um, from there because of my praying for my heart to be changed. Um, and now I can look back and see what God was doing. Like, he showed me that the reason why I wasn't getting to babysit to see them was because when they wanted to go out on a date, they would hire a sitter because they were too far away for us to go over there, for them to ask us to go over there and be there till late watching them. And it was too hard for them to bring them over to us because it was too far away. Yeah. So it wasn't convenient. Yeah. It, was. it wasn't because of anything you know, that she had to be personal. Personally, but I was seeing it that way because my heart was yeah. bitter. Uh, and so bottom line at the end, God brought them so close to us. They're here in Jesus' yeah. hands now. And now I get to see them yeah. all the time. And it's just it's just am
prayed from my heart. That's when things, everything just changed. Yeah. And now you're ready to have them live next door because you've dealt with exactly. your heart and now you can be exactly. that grandma that you really want to be. Okay. All right. So, um, so that was bitterness of circumstances. Now we're going to go to other examples in the Bible about bitterness of mocking. Does that like seem strange? Um, bitterness of mocking, mocking bitterness. Okay. So what can you think of anything in the Bible? Job's wife. Job's wife. Mocking God. Yeah. Leah. If you what if people are mocking you? Leah or Penina. Yes, Hannah and Penina. Her name's Penina. That's my example. Okay. Uh, actually, I'm sure it's his example, not mine. <laughs> it also be um, Abram's concubine. What was her name? Yeah, Hagar. Yeah. They're all women. Yeah. Yeah. Men are a little. More short-sighted. I'm just like, eh. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about Penina. Okay. Yeah. Elkanah and Elkanah. 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 He started off badly. He had two wives. <laughs> and he loved one more than the other. This is just bad. <laughs> so somebody turn to 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 7, and we'll listen to poor Hannah. <laughs> Or listen about poor Hannah. For Samuel 1, what? 6 through 7. Anybody will do. And the Bible used to provoke her previously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb, so she, so it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, therefore, and would not eat. So year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, Penina would provoke her, and mercilessly. She had no children. And guess what? Penina had tons of boys. So bitterness is not first a response. It's a reality. And so um, can you read 10 through 11? In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Yes, and so in between that, I left it out because I was thinking I probably shouldn't mock Elkanah, but I am going to anyways. He's like, why are you so sad? I love you more than anyone else, and aren't I like ten sons to you? And I thought, oh gosh, that's such a mean response. Like, aren't I enough? So, okay. Um, So, like Hannah, sometimes we can have bitter treatment from others when we've had no sin or responsibility in the manner, in the matter. So, what are bad ways of dealing with that, right? Complaining and grumbling is the wrong response 
that comes to mind the quickest, right? It is our first response to deal with bitter circumstances. So Philippians 2, 14 through 15, we all know this one. Do all, this is what I do with the, my class. I started off with it. Do all things grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So another way to deal with this kind of bitterness wrongly is suffering in silence, right? Stuffing it. Um, so suffering in silence is a long way to, wrong way to process our bitter, painful situations. So, um, have you ever heard somebody quote, I am mute, uh, this is David in Psalms, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it to me. Sometimes we can be in those really hard situations and we can say, I have no words, Lord. But um, let's read the beginning of that for context, because this is, you? I'm in uh, Psalm 39, okay. 1 through 3. Go for it, Brittany. (laughs) I said, I will guard my ways. I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence. How how far am I going? Um, Just till three, yeah. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Yeah, so um, MacArthur says in Psalm 39 that this is an exceptionally heavy lament. God closes his mouth in silence. He refused to speak, but he held his peace to no avail. His address, his distress just grew worse. Ignoring the hurt or pretending there isn't anything wrong does not ease the pain but makes it worse. So go to your God and go to a friend who can listen and encourage you. Um so let's not grumble, let's not ignore, let's not let's eat the bitter herbs, face the hardship in the way that God has called us to, and let us help long for the sweetness of Christ and the longing for heaven without with heaven and life without sin. Let us let bitterness produce sweet fruit in our lives. Um so let's see where I'm at. Okay. Um, so God has a role in our bitter circumstances. Can somebody read Habakkuk? Habakkuk 3.17. Got to find it first. <laughs> Though the thick tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no, no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Okay. Uh, in a sec, yes, I'm just going to... Um, basically, everything that could go wrong goes wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing is working. So what does he say in 18? Yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Yeah. So Habakkuk says this after being informed of God's impending judgment, right? 
um, he proclaims the goodness of God. He says, "If when everything fails, I will rejoice in you, Lord." And, um, if yes, go for it. Oh, uh, go for it. It's just too good. Okay. <laughs> God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So there is a bitterness that won't necessarily change in this life. So 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and that perishes, sorry, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there is a reality that some circumstances in our life, bitter circumstances, are going to last the rest of our lives. And our hope of heaven is our sweet refuge. And we can live... We live in a sin-cursed world, and we need to be honest about the struggle and find (laughs) solutions in our trouble. So my next thing is about lamenting properly, but it's kind of longer, so I'm just going to wait and, like, release class early so you guys can be happy with me. (laughs) But um, so we're going to talk about learning to lament properly and, um, and even sweeter than that. Um, how do we deal with bitterness in our life? Um, and bitter tears. And I know it seems kind of heavy. Like everybody's probably going to leave depressed, but I'm sorry. But this is good. <laughs> it's real. It's the stuff we don't want to deal with in our life. So I hope it's, it's helpful to you guys. And I hope that um, it's something that you'll come back for. But there is there is purpose in those things like pulse door in the flesh, right? There's there's purpose in all yes, of it. And there I know is. you're getting there. But I just you know, to leave on that happier note. No, like God is at work, even in the hard things and it is. But we do need to face our bitter circumstances and we need to start to unroot them and face them and not just keep stuffing them and ignoring them and let God use those. Um, and so think about this week, your bitter examples in your heart and in your life and start to bring them to the surface, um, and see what God would have you do with them. Okay. Tara, will you pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you.